today's a great day. A lot of things to be thankful for. When I turned the corner, I had no idea that someone was going to be here to, to plow the lot. So I thought I was going to get out a shovel and have to start cleaning this up. And then I saw these, uh, everything open. I was like, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. Listen, want to just every, have everybody open up their Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 7. Uh, I want to just say this. Remember last week, like Tony said, I asked for you guys to pray with me because during the snow time, I can't really guarantee things. Well, um, I know that I didn't want anything to get in the way. Well, we, we did start praying. And uh, listen, I just got a quick uh, testimony of, of how faithful God is and how much he's listening to your prayer. So listen, he, he heard our prayers. So I had to work Monday, 16 hours, Tuesday, 16 hours. I had Wednesday off. Then they called me in at 12 o'clock on uh, Thursday. Had to work till 2, came back in. So four days, I'm kind of calculating it out because I see the snow coming on Saturday. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, the way it's going to work is the second team's going to come up first, and then I'm going to work early on Saturday morning. That's going to release me before midnight so that I could get some sleep. Thank you, Lord God. Well, they wound up keeping us when they shouldn't have kept us. So that meant that the other team was coming in early on Saturday. Well, how many times, how many of you know that when you put things in God's hands, you're putting them in God's hands? You know what I mean? And sometimes he gives you answers and directions you may not want to go in. But anyways, I was resolved. I'm like, hey, we prayed about this. We gave it to you. So I thought I was going to have to tell them on Sunday that I couldn't come in. Eight o'clock on Saturday morning, the guy who was supposed to come in that takes the other team's route for me said he couldn't make it. So they goes, Fitz, would you come in on his route? And then he'll take your Sunday route. And I'm like, I go, yes. I go, Dave, we prayed about this. He's like, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so I go, and uh, I said to him, I go, as a matter of fact, not only can he take this Sunday, he could take every one of my Sundays. So will he do it? I don't know. But you know what, though? I, I know this. God gives us enough grace for each and every day. Remember that. Each and every day has enough grace. We're not supposed to look too far into the future. First of all, I don't know about you. It's never good for me to look too far into the future because I cause myself all sorts of anxieties. Do you do that? Because I do. So every day we've got enough grace. So listen, as we open up, as we get ready, let's pray together uh, because I, I want to uh, give God's word accurately and I want us to receive it and be transformed by it. Father God, we just want to say thank you. First of all, I, I want to say thank you. I don't know who did it. I know I'm going to get a bill for this sometime, but I'll pay them. I'll pay them, Lord God. And you know why? Because you called your people to provide, to, to give back a small portion of what you've given them. That's, that's, that's it. That's worship. And Lord God, you're using it to the greatest. And Lord God, I'm looking forward to good things. I'm looking forward to the time to where we have enough money in our reserves that we can use the money that you give, not for overhead, but we can invest it into a community that sees Christianity as just another place. Lord God, I want this community, we want this community to say, wait a minute, I don't know what this, this church is doing here. I don't know much about Jesus. I don't even know if I like his followers, but they're doing good things here. I want this neighborhood to see that you are doing good things here, Lord God. So, Lord God, I ask that you continue to transform our hearts, Lord God. L lighten our burdens. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord God. Give us a spirit of repentance and a spirit of joy, Lord God. And I pray this as we listen to your word in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, amen, amen. So, 
Open it up to Matthew chapter 7. This is out of the book. Uh, it's, uh, it's out of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So I, I want to say this in advance. Everything is connected in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not fair for us to take different portions of the Sermon on the Mount and kind of make them to say what we want them to say. So they got to kind of all connect with one another. So here's the deal. I've got homework for you. Anybody here like homework? Don't lie. Nobody likes homework, but you're going to like this homework. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 this week, okay? I want you to get your highlighters out. I want you to write down, underline those things and highlight those things that kind of reach out to you, things that grab you. When I read the scriptures, that's exactly what the scripture does to me, man. It grabs me. It grabs me. It literally pulls me close. And I'm going to tell you something. That's intimacy. That's where you're really going to be transformed. Because if God's not grabbing you, you know what this is? Just teaching. You could get teaching anywhere. You could watch the, the internet and get transformational speakers and motivational guys. But this isn't. This is life. So I want you to do that. I want you to write down your notes as you're doing it. Because I'm telling you, it's going to be something that's going to bless your life. So Jesus starts in chapter 7, you, the very familiar passage about judging. I wish I could teach on that. And maybe I will teach on that because it's really not what we oftentimes think it is. Jesus is not saying what the world likes to believe that Jesus is saying here. But he does finish that, and then he goes to verse 7, where he says this, speaking to his disciples, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks, receives. No, everyone who asks, receives. Those who seek, find. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now listen to this. Verse 9 says, which of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or which of you, if asked for a fish by your child, will give him a snake? If you, even though you are not perfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of them? So in everything, I want you to do unto others that you would have them do unto you. For this is the summation of the law and the prophets. This is God's word, and that last statement is said throughout the entire New Testament. And I'm going to show you kind of how this all connects together. The scripture that we read today comes from uh, the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It appears to me when I read this that this is Jesus summing up all of his teachings. Let me tell you a little bit about what's the truth of this sermon. We, I don't know about you, but I grew up Catholic. Anybody grow up Catholic? Okay, well, they discouraged us reading the Bible. I don't know why. They just did. And I'm not pointing fingers. And I didn't know anything about the Bible. I thought it was a weird book that was written 2,000 years ago and really didn't have anything to do with my life today. So the only thing that I knew about Jesus was movies that my mother watched during Easter. Amen? And Jesus was kind of like this placid dude who kind of walked around like this. And he had this, like, kind of like almost pale tone, and he was like very, very aloof from the crowd. Can I tell you something? When I started reading the scripture, it was completely different. I was shocked. I was like, it literally opened up a new world to me. Well, I think because we have this idea that was based on Cecil B. DeMille's idea of how things went, we think the Sermon on the Mount happened over like maybe like a 10-hour period. Jesus starts preaching at like 6 in the morning. He goes a little bit. The crowd starts picking up. And then he turns around and he goes, blessed are those. And then he kind of goes on his way and then he gathers more people. But that's not probably the way it happened. Most scholars believe that this is a compilation of his teaching over 30 days. 
thought to myself, why is that important? Why did that stick out for me? And I'll tell you why I think it stuck out for me. Because it's easy to come to church, to listen to God's word once a Sunday, maybe two times a Sunday. It's easy to get excited over special days, but it's not so easy to do it 30 days a week. It's not so easy to do it every weekend. There's always going to be something that's going to want to pull me away. And that's what was happening over 30 days. People were coming out there like, hey, this guy has come. I think he might be the Messiah. They come. They liked what they heard. They liked what they saw. They saw that he was doing miracles. They were like, man, this is exciting. But guess what? Life was calling. If you think life will not call you back, you're mistaken. So I think that that's something that we have to remember as we're asking, as we're seeking, as we're knocking. So uh, I want to say this. Um, Jesus, during the Sermon on the Mount, is speaking directly to the things that he sees going on within Israel. We usually believe that Jesus was about 33 years old. I do not believe that. I believe he was born in 4 AD, which means he would have been at this time 31 and he would have died at 35. Okay, so he's about 31 years of age right now, and he comes on the scene, and he starts to preach out of his heart. This is someone, this is not just someone, he's not just a teacher, he's not just a prophet, he is God the Son, and he's looking around, and he's like, wait a minute, these are my people, and they don't even know me, nor do I know them. And he starts preaching out of his heart, and guess what? The people who were kind of casually interested, they came and they went. But the ones that he was calling out, they came, they heard, and they stayed. So I think we got to remember that. To those he's calling out, he's calling, they're hearing, it's impacting, and they're staying. So if you're a disciple of Christ, and I believe you guys are a disciple of Christ, unless you're not, and then you need to come talk with me and then become with, talk to, to Jose. Man, we, we can lead you. We, there's many people who can lead you in discipleship. But you're not here for a casual commitment. You're never, that is never an offer from Jesus Christ. He's never going to say to you, hey man, come when you want, it's cool. We can keep it real casual just between me and you. No, no, no. He's like, I wanted everybody to know it. Everybody in the world. I don't want you to just have me among many loves. I'm going to be your only love. So much so that I'm going to kick all the lesser loves out of your life because I'm a jealous God. And I want you to get that. I want us to get that. I want us just to be permeated in our minds and our thought. So Jesus is speaking to what he sees going on with Israel. And you know what he's telling me today? He's saying, I want you, Tom Fitzmaurice, to pay attention to religious behavior that looks super impressive on the outside, but it never grows in life-benefiting love on the inside. Can I tell you something? If you have a proper relationship with the Lord, it is always going to produce a change in character. It's going to produce a beautification of my character. So not so that I can look great, so that I can start loving people the way that Christ loves them. Our relationship with God is always going to translate into how I treat people, how I treat my wife, how I treat my children, how I treat my coworkers, how I, what I think about the church of God, what I think about other saints. So I want you to remember that Jesus is looking around and he's like, yeah, you guys look really. And, and listen, don't take this as an insult. Jesus isn't talking to us. He's talking to Israel, but he's giving us a clear thing to be vigilant against. He's like, resist the urge to come to church and to leave it here, to keep your relationship kind of this 
kind of pseudo-holy thing between you and God. Because if you're really holy, you're really committed, you're really truly intimate with me, you know what you're going to do? You're going to start loving people around you, and they're going to know it. So I want you to get that. I want us to get that. I think that this can happen very easily when the people of God are only connected to each other on a very superficial level. Can I say, we, we live in a world that is constantly telling us, run, 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 go, 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 go. You got things to do. We fill ourselves up. And you know what? Can I tell you, this is just for me, this is my heart preaching. I believe the church is robbed of its power. Now, I know we can't live in church. We can't live in commune. I don't believe Jesus is asking us to do that. But I do believe that God is asking us to develop deep, meaningful relationships with each other. Because I don't, I, I can love God or say I love God as much as I want to. But I'm just going to be honest. I can't see Jesus. I can't hug Jesus. I can hear him, but usually I'm just hearing this. It's not like I hear his audible voice. But I do know this. When I love you properly, when I care about you, when I give my life up for your good, I'm loving Christ. That's what he says. What you do for the least of these, my brothers, you do unto me. Jesus is saying, don't tell me how much you love me if you don't love them and them and them and them. And it just keeps going out further and further. So I know how it happens, and it usually happens through superficiality. When we grow in intimacy and fellowship with the family of God, it will produce holiness. Holiness, once again, I don't want to give too much information, but man, I can't help it when I'm reading the scripture. I just, woo! And it's like, wow, I'm, I'm already sweating. So listen, I'm going to tell you something. True holiness is not this. I, I'm going to tell you, do you feel uncomfortable around people like that? Because I do. I do that. When I, see, when I see people that go, oh man, I'm blessed and highly favored, I'm like, yeah, that's great. But how are you doing? I want to be honest. I want you to tell me, you know, I'm, I'm good, man. But, you know, my, my, me and my wife ain't getting along no more. You know, we're, we're having a bad week. Or, man, my kid's out there be, being crazy. Or, man, my back is hurting. You know what I mean? I want to know about you. I do believe that you're blessed and highly favored. I know that to be true. And it ain't because of you. It's because of what Christ has done and God the Father has guaranteed to anyone who's attached to him, called out by him. So I know this, but I want to know you because I can't love God unless I love you. And you can't love God fully unless you're loving other people. It's just the way it is. It's an uncomfortable truth because it's a challenging truth. When we grow in this holiness, we will grow in love for each other. Let me tell you a couple things that happens when we become a church that really loves each other. First of all, when I begin to love another person, I want God's very best for that means sometimes I'm going to have to put in the effort to get to know them so that I can speak into their lives. Sometimes I'm going to have to be a good listener. I'm going to have to be very, very wise on what to say and what not to say. I'm going to be a person who's probably going to pray about you a lot throughout the day. Because can I tell you something? If you're getting advice from me, you're getting it from the wrong person. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I got a 50-50, sometimes a 50-50 record. You know what I mean? Like I told my wife, I go, yeah, I'm not here to tell people how to raise their kids. I'm here to tell them the truth. Jesus has got to tell them how to raise their kids. I'm not a tyrant. I'm not a boss. I don't have all the answers. But I do know this. 
Jesus is serious about the record of his children. He's father is our father in heaven is serious about leading his children, his family. You know, he's the father that we've always wanted and maybe didn't have on this earth. When we love each other, we want God's very best for each other. In that kind of an environment, there's never a need for us to cover ourselves up, which is easy to do in church. It's right for Christians to say, I'm blessed and highly favored. Why? Because I want people to think the very best of me. Because if I really told you maybe what I'm struggling with, maybe you wouldn't know how to handle it. Maybe you'd reject me. Has anyone ever been rejected in church? Jesus is saying, man, listen, I want you to be a people who love each other so that no one ever needs to cover themselves up. In an environment of love, the way God wants it and preaches it in the Sermon on the Mount, brokenness will never prosper. Do you know why? People don't need to pretend. They don't need to pretend. I don't need to pretend I'm holy. Holiness is submitted. Holiness is saying, I need. Holiness is saying, I don't have it all together. I am desperate. That's holiness. When we are in that kind of environment, we, never, we are surrounded by people who love you, so we never have to protect ourselves. I want us to remember, just like it says at the very end of this statement, loving people is the fulfillment of the law. It sums up all of the prophets. Jesus is kind of summing it all up. He's like, you want to follow the law? You, you pride yourself. Now listen, he's talking right directly to Israel. He's like, you think you follow the law? Do you care about your neighbor? Do you even know your neighbor? Don't tell me how much you tithe. Don't tell me where you serve. Don't tell me about your family lineage. Don't tell me how long you belong to this synagogue. I want to know how much you love the people around you, the people I place there. That's kind of what he's saying. And can I say, this is where the people who are kind of loosely hanging usually let go and kind of drift away because they realize to follow Jesus, it isn't casual. Jesus ain't cool with that. He's not cool with casual. All right. So Jesus now circles back to prayer a second time. Why? I want you to write this down. This is a big, big thing. Everything that God wants for you and me comes exclusively from him. The life, the character growth, the attitudes, the motives, they must come from him. We cannot produce the life God desires for us in our own effort. When a pastor makes that statement, I don't care how long they've been a pastor, how much you trust them, they have to have biblical proof. That's a, that's a definitive statement right there. Here's my biblical truth. My biblical proof. John 15, 5 and 6. Jesus speaking. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a person remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Listen, apart from me, you can do nothing. Man, I'm telling you, you know why the world doesn't like Jesus a lot? Because he's exclusive. He's like, I'm not one of many ways. I'm the way, only. It's me, me and, me and only me. So it's either me or it's nothing. People are like, eh, I'll take my chances elsewhere, to which he says, okay. Listen, he goes on in verse 8 to say this, and he's speaking to you and me today. This is to my Father's glory that you would bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
He wants us. He's called us to bear much fruit. How are we going to bear much fruit? By asking, seeking, and knocking. Asking to love better. Seeking to love better. Knocking. Being demanded. Like, I'm not going to stop. I am going to be determined. I'm going to be a person who's going to get up off my feet, and I am going to go to where I know I'm going to get a door answered for me. This is kind of what he's talking about. All right. So listen to this. Jesus is calling you and I, his disciples, to persevere. And the reason that he's calling us to persevere in this, this summation of the whole Sermon on the Mount, is because Jesus primarily calls us to a mission of self-denial. You know what that means? My way is not always the only way. My opinion's not the last one I listen to. I have authority, but I'm not the final word. I mean, I, I, you know what, I, I, I got to tell you, you know, as long as I'm going to be here, I, I can't preach to itching ears. I can't sell Jesus. I can't. I have to be, I have to be, and I want to be tactful, but I have to be true to what he's saying here. Because I'm going to tell you something, that's the only way we're going to get light. No other way. I can't sell Jesus. We can, listen, it doesn't matter if we have four services filled with 150 people each, if they're getting a watered-down gospel. Because nobody gets saved in a watered-down gospel. Nobody. So Jesus is calling his disciples to persevere because the road of self-denial is oftentimes difficult. So here's an encouragement for you. When you read this, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, if you're like me, you will feel a little uncomfortable. Because you will hear things like, no, 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 I tell you the truth that you can't even be mad with your brother. Well, I get mad with my brothers. I get mad with people all the time. I mean, I think that was the first emotion that I ever felt in my entire life. I, I mean, I swear to you, my mother used to say, you were born like this. I don't know why. I just, maybe I was just cranky. Well, you know what? Can I tell you something? It's easy for me to see you as an enemy. Apart from grace, if I allow my flesh to rule, I can see people as potential enemies or obstacles in my path. That means I am against you or you're adversarial to me. Jesus is saying, if you even see your brother like this, you're murdering him in your heart. He says, hey, listen, you never committed adultery, to which all of us would say, hopefully, no, I've never done that. And he goes, but I tell you the truth, you can't even lust. Well, have you ever struggled with your flesh? Have you ever been gripped by the truth of your flesh? Immediately when you hear this, you're like, but, 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 I, I don't know. I, 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 I think I've kind of failed a few times. To which he says, yes, you have, but you have me now. The difference was you thought you were following the law because you never fell into bed with someone. But I tell you the truth, it's a heart matter before it's a physical matter, and only I can change your heart. Only I can protect you from this. Only I can transform you in this struggle. I mean, when you read this thing, you're going to feel a little bit overwhelmed. You're going to feel this push where he's kind of pushing us. But I want you to understand this. Jesus is not calling you and I to perfect perfection. You're like, wait a minute. You sure? Yes. And I'm going to tell you why. Perfection is usually more about me proving to me than it is about me doing what I think God wants. I, I heard a sermon. I, I can't talk too long. It's hard for me. I heard a testimony in Celebrate Recovery from this woman who was a missionary. 
this was a tough missionary field, right? And her mother and father was devout. They were devout. And she took on this huge responsibility. And she kind of had this drive. Well, I, I, I mean, if, if everybody does this much, I have to do that much. And if everybody gives this much, I have to give that much. Because I have to die so that he could be exalted. And you know what? Because she had this perfectionism that was in her heart, she expected her husband to have it and her kids to have it and everybody around her had it. So all her family, all they ever felt was, man, mom's really godly, but she looks at us with a lot of contempt. She's like, I wish you guys could be a little bit more caring about God's will like me. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. Be as holy as you want. Your kids are going to go, Thanks, but no thanks. I can't please that God. So it's not about perfection. What holiness, his discipleship direction is it's about direction and progress. That means being sincere about growth. That's why I love Celebrate Recovery. Because I'm surrounded by people who are deeply flawed apart from grace and they know it. They know it on the worst days, when I'm tired, when I'm overwhelmed, when I'm hungry, when I'm lonely, when I'm angry. Man, the worst of my flesh can come out like that. Do you know what I'm talking about here? And you know what? Can I say something? That's when we need to rush into God's presence, not run away from his presence. That's what God is saying. I want you to be a people of sincere direction and progress. Here's another thing. There's hundreds of things that can tempt us to go in our own direction. And they don't always have to be sinful. Sometimes they can even look like God's blessings. I remember, I, I can't tell a story. Success and certain types of prosperity call our name. We all want to succeed. Nobody here wants to be rich. I can almost tell that. But it's not cool to be poor either, right? Can I get an amen? But can I say something when it's easy for that line to get blurry? It's easy for that to happen. You know, it's okay for us to want certain types of prosperity and certain types of success. But if that becomes our number one pursuit, bad things. It becomes an idol. Bad things happen in our life. We can look for success in leisure. And what we do, what we have our kids in, what schools they go to. We can get caught up in retirement planning. I told it about last week. I had this idea and it's all this plan. And then God comes in and throws the deck up in the air. And I'm like, man, I don't like this. And he's like, I didn't ask you. I love you. I want you to know I love you. Do you know God loves you? All right. These are not sinful things, but sometimes these things that if we pursue them can take up the lion's share of our effort. And you know what God says to you and I? Seek as first important the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When you read that, you've got to ask yourself the question, what is all these things that he's speaking about? I'll tell you what, it's the cream. It's the things that sparkle. It's the successes. It's the securities. It's the, uh, I don't know, does God want us to be like monks? No, I don't believe so. I believe God is very, very pleased when his children have good things. I believe it. And you know what? I don't know about you. I, 
No, I do. I'm, I, I think we could all look back and go, man, I have seen God provide for me time and time. Even when I was in tough spots, he somehow always seemed to manage. Even when I wasn't following him, somehow he kind of made these things happen. Jesus, in this scripture, is encouraging us to go to our Father who is not stingy and he is above and beyond generous. This is the summation of the teaching we just read. He's like, go to your Father because he's good. There's a little part of us, apart from grace, that we'll struggle with to the very end that believes God's a trickster. Follow Jesus and have a miserable life. No! Have an abundant life. Man, I'm not going to make you as rich as Elon Musk, maybe. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to adorn your life with good things. You may not have mansions, but I can fill your house with love. You know, you may, you may, you may have to say yes on certain things, but you know what, though? I can give you a beautiful relationship with your children. I can give you a strong marriage that lasts for 50 years. You know, I'm going to tell you something. That's my greatest thing right there. If my wife were to leave me, I'd follow her. There's no way I'd collapse without her. Why? Because I know she's God's gift to me. And you know what? Sometimes I got to be reminded of that. Remind me of that. Are you treating your wife like God's gift? In this teaching, Jesus is not talking about what we say. He's focusing on encouraging a response. He is assuring us that God is gener generous. He's assuring us that God is trustworthy. He's assuring you and me that God is good. He's going to make your life adorned with good things. This is to his pleasure. Seek his kingdom. Seek what he wants. Seek to love people with the love that he puts in your heart. And he says, I'll give you that stuff too. Remember this. Remember this because this is what the teaching is all about. So, to sum it up, he says, keep asking. That means don't just do it once, do it all the time. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You know why? Because he's saying when you ask, you will receive. When you seek, you will find. When, the, when you knock on doors, they will open up to welcome you. All right, let's go quickly because we got quickly. Quick, I didn't ever do anything quick. All right. <laughs> what are we going to do real quick? What do we do about asking? What are we supposed to ask? I'm going to tell you this right now. It has to be taken in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. This is not carte blanche. It's like, ask whatever you want. I don't think he's asking that. I don't think he's offering that. Some things we can ask for are not his will. I do not like prosperity ministry. Where they teach people to ask God for cars and money. You know, I heard this guy the other day. It depends on your willingness to give a seed. I wish Jesus would have hit him with a lightning bolt and killed him in front of that thousand people. Why? Because they would have run out of the church and they would have said, let's never darken the door of that place again. That is not the gospel. God does not lead us into idolatry. He pulls us out of it. So what do we ask for? Uh, here it is. A righteousness that goes deeper than religion. A righteousness that goes deeper than even the most religious people of the day, which were the Pharisees. They looked really great, but not on the inside. And they never, ever recognized it. Jesus is like, if you would just be, be serious with me for a minute, if you just be honest, I would embrace you. 
And they're like, no thanks. I got it from here. In the opening words of Jesus' sermon, he talks about blessed attitudes and attitudes and motives that God anoints with his favor. So the first thing we should keep asking for is poorness of spirit. You know what that is? I know I'm bankrupt without God. I'm bankrupt without God. Do you know what that means for me in a very practical way? When I am tempted to not answer the bell and come, I come anyway. You know why? What do I have apart from them? Yeah, I could go to work. I could try to get as much overtime and have a wonderful... What does it matter? What does it matter? What does it matter if I have $550,000 upon my retirement and then I die two months later of cancer? What if I lose my family in the pursuit of all these things? He's like, did you gain anything, bro? No, no, no. I know, we know, and we can keep asking for greater poorness of spirit. I have nothing good apart from you. That will mean you will be here and you will be counted on because this now becomes your life. This becomes your life. Dependence on God's grace. That's what the first thing we should ask for. God is drawn to the humble and to the lowly. You want to experience his comfort? Be humble. Be as humble as you can. As humble as you can. Be honest with him. Say, oh, you know, I can only get so much, but Lord God, I want to be humble. I want to be lowly. You will feel him come close to you. You will feel it in a very equitable sort of way, in a very uh, real sort of way. This person sees that there is a need for God in every aspect of our life. They, doesn't, they don't compartmentalize, which is easy for us to do. I come to church on Sunday. I serve in the ministry, but I really don't have any relationship with any of the saints. I come to church on Sunday. I, I could even be a pastor. I could be an elder. I could be this. I could be that. I could preach in, in conferences. But you know what? God, you're, I, I let, hands off my finances. Don't don't let don't touch my finances. Don't touch my time. You got, I'll give you I'll give you a portion, but you got to let me have my own stuff. That's what a dependent heart is. That's what he's saying. Keep asking for. You know why? Because my flesh pushes away from it. My flesh wants a casual relationship with Christ. I can't deny him. He's told me the truth. So the next best thing is my flesh going, all right, can we just share partnership here and have a, like a 50-50 split in authority? Jesus is like, no. Number two, we have to have a deep and inner sadness over the brokenness of the world. I hope this doesn't uh, jostle anybody, but I want to say this. I was at a Starbucks the other day. Listen, I, I had a pretty bit, a little little bit of a Starbucks addiction. And then they, they raised their drinks to a dollar more. And I was like, that's enough. So Mario, Brother Mario, had me over and he made me a cup of coffee. And I go, how did you do that? Told me how to do it. I bought this cheap old coffee. Got, now I'm making my own coffee. Hey, Amen? Well, don't laugh. Don't clap too hard. So I'm at work and I drank my first coffee. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll go back to my old love for a minute. And I go to Starbucks to get myself a, a Starbucks, right? And I'm standing there, and two people in front of me is what appears to be a young girl. And her hair is bright red. And it's really disheveled. And I start to look at her a little closer. She's got a very, very goth, ornament, costume look. I'm cool with that. But she's got a cloak around her head. Uh, her head. And it's not just a cloak. It has symbols on it. Symbols of witchcraft. And not only that, symbols of Satan. It was a pentagram and different things like that. And at first, it literally took my breath away. I was like, oh my gosh. And then 
she went to the other side. I stayed there long enough. I came to the other side, and she turned around to wait at the thing, and it turned out she wasn't a girl at all. She was a boy, and she had makeup on her head. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to, I'm not here to be degrading. I'm no better than nobody. But man, all I saw with that kid was rawness. Her, his face puffy. I saw utter confusion, and my heart broke for this kid. We need to keep asking for a heart that is broken over our society that is absolutely lost. Absolutely lost. That's what we keep asking for. Two more points, and then we're going to have communion. There, we need to keep asking for a meek heart. You know what? Meekness is not weak. We're like, man, I don't want to be weak. Nobody likes to be seen as weak. That's one of the reasons that we try to keep Jesus off to a safe distance. What do you mean I got to just take, take every bad thing that happens to me? I can't ever stand up for myself? Many times, yeah. You say, turn the cheek, man. You're insultable. I did it. It's hard to do. But meekness is not weakness. Let me tell you what it is. It is strength. It is powerful strength that is surrendered. You know that you are made in the image of God. Whether you're saved or you're not, that's why you can do incredibly bad things apart from grace. Things that can, they can affect the entire world. Think of one guy, Adolf Hitler, killed 6.5 million Jews, waged war, and got a whole nation to wage war against the rest of the world through speeches. And he's just one of millions. What just as powerful to do wrong, under grace, we have the power to do amazing things. Amazing things. And God wants to do amazing things in your life. God wants you to take responsibility. Not only just for your family, but for the people around you. Sometimes it's simply making a call. I haven't seen you in a while. Can we go for coffee? Can we meet up? Are you doing okay? Man, I don't love you if I don't do that. I don't love you if I don't do that. I can say I love you, but I'm not. Remember, Jesus' words kind of get right to the... A meek heart is a submitted heart. It finds joy. It finds joy in serving the king. It finds fulfillment in serving the king. You want to find fulfillment in your life, which is really why we come here? Pray for meekness. And this is the last point, and then we, we'll take communion. We need to ask that we would always remember that we are called to God's eternal plan. You and I are called to be witnesses. We are called to be witnesses in our homes, witnesses at our schools, witnesses to our families, witnesses to the people that we're driving next to on the road. You know what, and I'm going to tell you why it's important. Because if I don't submit every day on a regular basis to the fact that I've been born for his purpose, I've been born again for his purpose, I'll live for mine. I'll have a purpose, and you will too. And it'll sometimes look cool, but, but it'll fall short of what God expects, what he demands. Does that mean he'll quit on you? 
Does that mean he'll turn his back on you? No. It just means you lose out on some of what God wants for you. Remember this. We are called to God's plan. We are called to, to witness to a world that is willfully blind. It is resistant to God. And this is where we stop. When I'm a witness to God, I also have to pray for this because these are my struggles. I have to be patient. I don't like to be patient. I like people to do what I want them to do. I want them to think the way I want them to think. I want them to keep lockstep with me. Who else is like this? Anybody? Or am I the only guy? So I got to pray for patience. Here's another one that we have to pray for. I have to pray for. We have to pray for gentleness. My wife tells me all the time, I got three girls. Girls are gentle. I like boys, but I love my girls. I love my girls. You could be rough with boys. But how many of you know you could crush your kids too, your boys? My dad was tough, man. He was old school. And he used to say stuff to me to motivate me. And man, they daggers in my heart. So bad they stuck with me for years. 56 years old, I just confessed them. I got to pray for gentleness. Here's another one, and then we're going we're gonna to have uh, the communion meal. I got to pray for kindness, an ability to be slow to anger, generous in my judgment, quick to forgive, polite. That is how we are to live the life of love, the love that he wants for us. God will use his children to show this world what? Great he is. Could you imagine how awesome it would be if your kid says as they get baptized, I got baptized not because my father and my mother made me, but I really saw how they were sincere in coming in the Lord. They didn't judge me. They didn't beat me. They didn't drag me. They prayed for me. They loved me. They endured. And you know what? I came forward because I saw Christ's love in them. Think like that. Ask like that. Seek like that. Knock like that. Because when you ask, you'll receive. When you seek, you will find. And when you knock on that door, the door will be open for you. So that's where we're going to end. I still got two pages of notes, but that'll be for another day. <laughs> all right, so let's, let's all stand up as we get prepared for communion.